0: Being clean feels really good, right? It feels nice to feel renewed, refreshed, restored, and even physically clean. I mean, there's a time for working hard and and, and getting dirty, but part of even what makes it easier to to do that is knowing, hey, at the end of it, I can get clean, and I can get restored and, and refreshed, and if you think about our society, we've gotten really good at getting clean and having kind of a cleanly lifestyle. Just think about your home, right? So much about it is designed to keep it in your life clean. Even before you get in your house, there's probably a doormat that you can use to, to pound off or wipe off dirt or mud or snow or anything before you track that inside. And even a lot of houses in Idaho, if you're coming in through the garage, there's a whole room there called the mud room, right? Designed for, hey, you can leave jackets, shoes, all the things that are gonna just track dirt into the house, you can leave them there. And wherever you come in from the house, probably not too far away, you're gonna find a, a bathroom, right? And even the cleanliness that we've experienced in our society and that we've achieved, a lot of it simply just comes down to the invention for which we can all thank the Lord, and that is indoor plumbing, right? That has helped so much compared to past civilizations and times, right? All the technology that just goes into that helps take a lot of filth out of our lives and out of our homes. You go into your kitchen. You've got a sink there where you can wash dishes, where you can... uh, Prepare food where you, you can wash your hands. You've got a fridge that not only really keeps your food cold, but it keeps it all kind of sealed and in this contained and clean environment. And you probably have a whole other room in your house somewhere devoted to laundry and keeping all the things that you wear clean. And hey, let's admit, it's nice having that inside the house. Have you ever had to hang dry your, your laundry? Well, let's just be brutally honest, right? Your underwear is not getting as clean when you got to hang it outside and expose it to the elements in the wind and the dust. It's nice to be able to have all of that. And as a result of really living in the cleanest, so some of the cleanest societies that have ever occurred in the history of humanity, we're generally living healthier and longer lives. And go to places even today in the world where they don't have kind of these things that we have and you're going to find people they're not as healthy and they're not as living, they're not living as long. I mean, that's a great achievement of human progress, what we've been able to do to organize a cleanly life and a cleanse, a cleanly society. But here's the problem. As much progress as we have made in kind of keeping our world and our lives physically clean, we haven't made that much progress in keeping our lives spiritually clean, right? Indoor plumbing can take away a lot of filth from your life and your health and your and your house. But what about your heart and your soul? What can take the filth away from there? These are the questions humanity and human achievement have not been able to accomplish and let's get real, will never be able to accomplish. So how do we spiritually get clean? How do we remain spiritually clean? These are the questions I want us to ask, and these are the questions we're going to find answered in John chapter 13 today. So please open up your Bibles to John chapter 13. And we're picking up the story here of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And we're calling this series, Learning to Love, And even that's kind of what we saw last week. Jesus, he loved his own to the end. And even what enabled him to love them so well? Well, he was confident that his father was taking care of him and that freed him up to take care of them. And that's an example for all of us. Are you confident that your heavenly father is going to take care of you? If so, that should free you up to feel like you can take care and love and serve other people. But we're going to see here today in our passage that there's kind of a detour and another lesson. While we're going to get back to even clearly talking about service and love, today another topic gets addressed. And really it's, it's a topic of cleansing. And what really Jesus is doing, the spiritual significance that it has outside of just this bold act of service. So follow along as I read verses 6 through 11, what we're going to look at together this morning. So Jesus, he's washing the disciples' feet. In verse six, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So as Jesus is going around uh, washing the disciples' feet, he comes to Peter. And I want you to imagine the scene, right? washing feet, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, this was the lowliest of low jobs, reserved for the lowliest of low slaves. But now Jesus, the son of God, he is going around the table and washing his disciples' feet. And I want you to imagine with me a long, thick, awkward silence as Jesus works around the table and the 12 disciples. Do you like awkward silences? Neither does the apostle Peter, okay? And so we see, hey, the silence is broken. Peter, somebody has to say something. And as he comes to Simon Peter, he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And we're going to see Peter does a little bit of what he does sometimes where he breaks the awkward silence by opening his mouth and inserting his foot. Maybe some of us can relate to that, but I mean, he kind of asks an obvious question, Lord, do you wash my feet? Uh, You've got to imagine Jesus kind of sitting there with the basin and the towel at his feet being like, what does it look like I'm doing, right? But there is a deeper significance, and Jesus acknowledges that with, with what he says in verse six, or sorry, verse seven. Jesus said, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. What is Jesus talking about there? And I think he's talking about more than just the lessons that we're seeing on love and service. I think there's a deeper meaning referring to cleansing and forgiveness that he is talking about. And really, he's talking about how the Son of God is lowering himself to serve and to cleanse his people. And Peter's failing to connect on that. And that's something we've seen a lot in the Gospel of John, right? We've seen a lot of people who, even if they, even if they do kind of think that Jesus is the Messiah, they get thrown for a huge loop when they start thinking about Him suffering or him not just riding to victory in a military fashion, right? That's a stumbling block for the Pharisees, right? They can't imagine a Messiah who's going to suffer and not just fulfill their agenda and overthrow the Romans. This was a a problem for many of the common people to understand. But what I want you to see is that was also something the disciples struggled to understand. And we're going to see that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to see Peter. Kind of getting in trouble a little bit with his mouth again. Matthew chapter 16. But at first, Peter's going to say something really good. Matthew 16, find verse 15. But leading up to that, Jesus is asking, hey, disciples, what's the word on the street? What's what's the buzz? What, What are people saying? Who are people saying that I am? Or who are people saying that the Son of Man is? And the disciples say, well, you know, some people say he's John the Baptist, some people Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now help me out. Is that the right answer? Yes, absolutely. Ding, ding, ding. We got a winner. And Jesus goes on to commend him for that. Blessed are you, Simon bar for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Peter, that is the right answer. That is what you need to know. But then Jesus goes on to explain something that the disciples have a hard time understanding. Go down to verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And that's where even though the disciples understand Jesus is the Messiah, this whole, hey, the Messiah is going to suffer thing It's not computing for them. And so Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Just stop, let that sink in for a moment. Peter takes aside Jesus Christ and rebukes him. One thing you got to give Peter, he's bold. We'll We'll give him that, right? But he rebukes Jesus saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But give Peter some credit. He's like, you're the Messiah. You're not going to be killed. He's not quite grasping this. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So there we see this failure to understand that the Messiah was going to suffer. And I think that is what Jesus is getting at. In verse 7 in John 13, he's saying, hey, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. And I think Jesus is kind of saying, hey, what I'm doing right now by humbling myself and washing your feet is kind of a symbol of what I'm going to do by humbling myself to take on the cross for your sins. And you're going to understand it later. But Peter, if you can't accept this, how are you going to accept that? If you can't accept me washing your feet, how are you going to accept the cross? If you think me washing your feet is bad, well, what about me dying for your sins? And that's something we all have to accept what Jesus has done for us. Put this down for point number one. And there's a note, there should be a note sheet in your bulletin that might help you follow along by taking some notes if you're not already. But point number one, humbly accept Christ's humiliation. Humbly accept Christ's humiliation. That Christ was humiliated for us. And it really, I say humiliated from a human perspective. From Christ's perspective, this was his glorification. But I want you to think about who Jesus is, right? How does John start? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, the Word became flesh And dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And even that in itself required humility, right? Christ's suffering didn't start on, you know, this night and Good Friday. His suffering started on Christmas. For the word to take on flesh, I mean, that was a huge downgrade from what Jesus was used to experiencing. To be born in in a stable, to be laid in a manger, all of these Different things. That, that's what he experienced. That was suffering right there. But now think about what Jesus is about to go through. The son of God, God in human form, he's about to go through a sham of a trial. Think about how ridiculous it is for the creator, God in the flesh, to allow sinful, hypocritical, lying men to sit in judgment of him. And then after the trial comes the beating that Jesus would allow these men to punch him in the face, to spit on him, to whip him, to as an act of mockery, make him a crown of thorns and shove it on his head, right? This is what Jesus experienced. And then he was crucified. This form of execution perfected in the ancient world to accomplish not just the purpose of killing the victim, but making them suffer as much as possible as they died. That the Son of God allowed himself to be nailed to a cross and to experience the suffocating, literally, agony of crucifixion. And not only that, that Jesus on the cross experienced something he had never experienced and will never experience again. He experienced the wrath of God. He experienced God turning his back on him. That's Again, from our perspective, doesn't that sound humiliating? And Jesus let it all happen, right? This was not forced upon him. This was what he willingly walked through. Doesn't all of that seem like a big deal? That the Son of God became a man, endured this mockery of a trial, was beaten, was crucified, and experienced the wrath of God? Well, let's go one step farther and ask, why did it happen? Why did Jesus die on the cross? This is the question right now I'm really working with on um, uh, my son, Mac. He's four years old, so he's starting to understand more. So I'm trying to kind of pound certain things in. So no matter what the Bible story is we're reading at night before he goes to bed, kind of the wrap-up question pretty much every night these days is, all right, Mac, why did Jesus die on the cross? And he's getting pretty good at the answer, which he says, he died on the cross for our sins. And that's what the Bible says. He died on the cross for our sins. Well, I hope what we see is Jesus dying on the cross. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Why did he do it? For our sins. We need to accept that means our sins are a huge deal too. Our sins are a big deal. And we all need to understand how serious our sin is. It was our sin that, that made Jesus go through all of this so that we could be forgiven. And some of you, you're like, preach it, pastor. And you're like, hey, let me tell you what my life, how crazy my sinful life was before I came to know Christ. But then there's some of you that, like me, you, you grew up going to church. You went, never went through this major rebellious phase where you were, you know, drug, sex, and rock and roll and all the rest, right? Do you realize that your sin is that serious? Every single one of us needs to realize, I have a problem. I have a serious problem, a problem that's so serious that Jesus Christ had to die on the cross so that I could be forgiven. You need to take that personally and understand there's no hope for you without the sacrifice of Christ. And you need to understand there is no way for you to cleanse yourself. Even some of you, if you realize, hey, I, am, I know I'm dirty you got to realize there's no way for me to cleanse myself. The only way is based on what Jesus did. For me to try to clean myself up, it's, it's never going to happen. It's an impossible task. Think of when my family moved to Idaho. We started off in a, a, a small apartment when we got here. And right next to this apartment, like literally right out my bedroom window, was kind of this abandoned parking lot I mean clearly they were planning on doing some more construction of something at some point in the future but I have no idea when because for now all it was was just this abandoned parking lot and the pavement wasn't really good the the lines had all faded the kind of the plots were I guess maybe someday they'll build something there's nothing there so what happens to a you know, unkept piece of land. I mean, weed central, right? Just all kinds of weeds. You walk through it, you're guaranteed to have goat heads for days in your shoe, right? Just totally uh, covered and, and dirty. And even in the corner of the parking lot, there was this, parked there most of the time was this sketchy van. And you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like there's a normal van, you see families drive around it, and then there's a sketchy van. This was one of the sketchy vans, right? And it was always parked there in the parking lot. And if you came to me and said, hey, you've got one day, to clean up this parking lot, I would say it's an impossible task. There's just no way that I can do it. I mean, I'd have to completely, for one thing, repave the whole thing because it just looks gross. I'd have to repaint all the lines. And there's no way in one day I can pull out all of those weeds. And in the meantime, I'm going to need a tow truck to get the sketchy van out of here, right? All that, it would have been an impossible task for me to clean it. But then one weekend, we had a weekend weekend kind of like what we're going through right now, where even though it would have been impossible for me to do in a day, in a couple of hours, that whole parking lot was changed. Why? Because it was covered with snow. Looked like somebody had you know put milk in a frother and got it nice and foamy and just poured it out over the whole thing, right? Just fresh, pure, undisturbed snow, right? You couldn't see the terrible asphalt Anymore. It was deep enough to cover most of the weeds. And even the sketchy van kind of took on a Hallmark movie type type feel, right? All of a sudden it was it was covered. Well, this is kind of how Jesus talks about sin, or that God does in Isaiah 1:18. God says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That's what we all need to realize. I need cleansing. I am a human sketchy parking lot, right? And there is no way that I can clean it all up myself. But God can come in and cover it all with the pure and spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this, we talk about how do you get cleansed? This is it. This is it. And that's what everybody needs to realize. I am a sinner. I am filthy. I cannot clean myself. I must look to Jesus. I must throw myself at the foot of the cross and confess my sin and trust in the work of Christ. Trust in what he did for me and accept the work of Christ as the solution. And again, there's no exceptions to that. That's not just for the people that you think are worse than you. That's for you. And you've got to realize, I need it. I can't do it myself. And ultimately, Peter learned this. Let me show you. Go, turn with me to 1 Peter. Let's look at a book he wrote after. I mean, Jesus says, what I am doing, you do not now understand. But afterward, you will understand. And we're going to see just how well Peter came to understand. Let's go to chapter 2, 1 Peter Chapter 2. And one passage we've looked at a few different times now going through John is Isaiah 53, because it's one of the clearest prophecies in the Old Testament that shows the Messiah is going to suffer. And if you've heard that verse before, think about how it's referenced a few times here in 1 Peter 2 24 and 25. Talking about Christ, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, right? Peter gets it now. I mean, by his wounds, you are healed. That's a direct reference to Isaiah 53, He sees now, oh, yeah, of course, the Messiah had to suffer. And then look at verse 18 of chapter 3. Just kind of move your eyes across the page or turn the page to chapter 3, verse 18. Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The righteous suffered for the unrighteousness, for the unrighteous, and that's our hope. That is how we can be saved. And just like Jesus says to Peter, the same is true. He would say to all of us, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If you have not been washed by Jesus Christ, you are not his. And not only is that what we all need to realize as we come to Christ in salvation, that should create an ongoing humility, right? That none of us think we're here because we were clean or we figured out how to clean ourselves, that we all realize, hey, the only reason I am where I am is the grace of God. That's why every single one of us that has put our faith in Christ can sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now i am found, was blind, but now I see. We should be humble. But what does that humility then go on to look like in the Christian life? And this is where I want us to think carefully. Because again, I think what goes on here between Jesus and Peter presents a very powerful picture that we need to watch and we need to see has a lot of relevance for our own lives. But look at what goes on we see at the end of verse 8, Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And then verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus, if we're going to do this, let's go, right? Forget the foot washing. Wash my head. Wash my hands. Let, let's, let's do the whole thing, Jesus. But then look at what Jesus says to Peter. The one who has bathed does not need to wash Except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So again, I think there's a very important spiritual lesson here. And the traditional understanding even of these verses have been, hey, you don't need to be continually washed over and over again. You don't need to get saved again every day. If Jesus has washed you, you are clean. Except you you need to wash your feet. We need to realize God has done something for us. He has cleaned us. He has changed us. Think about amazing grace again. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Point number two, and let's think about this carefully. Act like Christ has cleansed you. Act like Christ has cleansed you. That there should be an acknowledgement that I am nothing without Christ. And I'm filthy. There's no hope for me without Christ. But even without kind of losing that, we should be adding to that, I'm nothing without Christ, but I have Christ. I can't clean myself, but Christ has cleaned me. So there should be a humility that goes on, but also an assurance. And as we're going to talk about, I think that's a hard thing for some of us to to balance. And I want to give you two words to think about as we talk through this part. And the first word is confidence. Confidence. If Christ has cleansed you, you should move forward with confidence. You don't need a bath. You are clean because Christ has cleaned you. And I'm concerned that some Christians kind of walk around with this excessively defeatist, woe is me mentality, right? Kind of a Christian Eeyore, right? Like, I'm such a pathetic sinner, right? I'm so filthy. I'm no good, right? All these things that we continue to go on and say to ourselves and turn Christianity almost into a contest as to who can beat up on themselves the most, And I think that leads many people to a misplaced or a prolonged guilt and shame where you have a lot of people walking around carrying the burdens of the sins that they've committed. When those burdens, if your faith is in Christ, don't belong on your back, they belong nailed to the cross with Christ. Those burdens should be gone. We are forgiven. We should walk with confidence in that forgiveness. But yet even today, many Christians choose to try to identify right now and identify themselves with labels of the sins of their past. And I don't think that's the way we should think. And I think the Apostle Paul agrees with me. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then look at what he says next. And such were some of you, right? He says, no, you're not this anymore. And I don't think Paul's denying that, hey, the There's ongoing struggles as a Christian, or we still might be tempted by some of these things, but he says, overall, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Son, by the Spirit of our God. That's something we need to all make sure has gotten through to us. I have been washed. We don't need to just walk through this, oh, I'm such a filthy sinner. You were were washed by Jesus Christ. We don't need to go through this like, oh, I'm such a slave to sin. No, you've been set free. And as we've already seen in John, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And you might say, well, what about Paul when he says things, though, like, hey, this, this I know, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am, present tense, the foremost, where he refers to himself as currently the foremost of sinners. Or what about Romans 7, where he says, you know, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And that's where I'm trying to say, I'm not saying, hey, all of this kind of, hey, I'm still struggling with sin. And that's a, that's a real thing. And there's still filth in, in my life that I'm working through. But that, what I want you to see is that's not all Paul says. And even to, to prove that, let's go to Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. I don't think it's wrong for us to realize, man, I'm, I'm still a sinner. There's still a, a war going on. There's still a struggle. There is still filth that I see in my life. But I want to say, if that's all we focus on, we're not going to proceed the right way, I don't think, in the Christian life. Look at what Paul says in chapter 6, verse 11. It says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, hey, you got to think differently. And he's been going, he's been before this saying, hey, you've been raised with Christ. You were dead spiritually, but now through faith, you've been made alive. You're a new person. Think like it. Don't think like you're a slave anymore. Start thinking, hey, I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as sin to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And he goes on to the whole analogy of slavery, saying, hey, you're not a slave of sin anymore, so don't present yourself as a slave to sin. Present yourself as a slave to God. Or look at the end of chapter 7, where you see Paul say in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And what I want you to see is that's not where chapter 7 ends. He doesn't End just with that question hanging. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's implying God's going to deliver me from this. And then he has confidence. Look at chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or look at verse nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Or verse 12, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what I want us to see is while Paul realizes he has ongoing struggles with sin and he's realistic about that, we also see him instructing us, think like you're cleansed. You've been cleansed by Jesus Christ Act like it. Have a confidence that your sin is forgiven. Have a confidence that you are not a slave to sin anymore. And let that confidence lead you to live differently. But now if you think back to to John 13, right? Jesus says, hey, you don't need a bath, basically. You don't need to wash except for your feet. So Jesus, even in this picture, which I think that traditional understanding is correct, that he's kind of making a metaphor here about forgiveness and cleansing, that what he's saying is, hey, you don't need a bath. You don't need to get saved again. But as a Christian, you're going to need to wash your feet, so to speak, that there is going to be an ongoing problem with sin that you need to struggle with. And what do you do about it? Well, even that, the, as you become a Christian and you, you're now walking and you see new sin in your life, it doesn't change. It's not, well, now I got to deal with this myself. or I got to do penance or work really hard. No, it's Hey, I take this sin and I bring it to Christ and I confess it. And I look to God to cleanse me from the inside out. And so one word I wanted to give you was confidence. The other word I want to give you is confession, right? And we need both of these things as we move forward in the Christian life. You are saved, but you're still a sinner. As my old pastor used to say, you're not sinless, but you should sin less but we still got that sin problem in our lives. And we should be continually looking God for forgiveness as we see more sin in our lives. That's why Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, one of the six requests he taught them to make was forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That should be a consistent part of our own prayer lives. And the fact that we trust we are Cleansed should motivate us to, to walk in that cleanness and to be quick to confess sin to God, right? It makes me think of, you know, when you get really dirty, but then you get clean and how you feel in that moment. Makes me think about going camping, right? One of the first ways I was ever involved in our sending church was I was a counselor at their youth summer camp. And that summer was the first summer that church had even done it on their own. It was literally, they were camping by this lake in the middle of nowhere in, in California. And we were outside the whole week. Even most of the guys weren't even sleeping in tents. They had literally brought up like uh, uh, carpet squares. And we, we put, we'd put down like some carpet squares in the dirt and like, hey, guys, this can be your home for the week. And so that, that's, that, was, that was it for, for that week. And you, you just kind of came to accept I'm dirty, right? And I'm I'm going to be dirty no matter what. And now that's where we really, especially with the high school and middle school students, try to encourage them. That doesn't mean we throw all hygiene out the window, please. Let's uh, still have some thought for that. But you also kind of realize, hey, even when I go to that kind of like camp shower thing, like there's only so clean that I'm going to get. And by the time I'm back to my stuff, I'm going to be I'm going to be dirty again. And you just kind of learn to to accept that for the week. But then you get home and you take that first real shower and you step out of the shower and you're not going back into the dirt of the campground, but you're going into like, you know, the carpet of your bedroom and you're not reaching into some duffel bag that's been sitting in the dirt all week, right? Like you're going into your closet and getting out fresh, clean clothes and how that feels, right? Right? Well, we're at camp when you got out of the shower and somebody was like, hey, we're going to go play this or we're going to go swimming or we're going to go do whatever. You're like, sure, I'm down because, I mean, it doesn't matter if I get dirty again. That's just the way it is. But now you get clean at home and it's like, hey, let's go do this activity. This is going to require you to get all sweaty and all dirty. And you know what? You're like, "Nah, I'm good. I don't want to go back to that. I just got clean. I feel so refreshed, so renewed. I want to stay that way. And while I camp, you'd kind of realize, oh, I'm kind of dirty, but eh, whatever. I mean, let's just maybe throw some sanitizer on and see, hope that works, right? Even though at some point during the week, it's basically just moving the dirt around on you, right? Like when you're really there for a long time, where at home, you start to see, oh, I'm dirty and I'm going to go wash my hands. I want to stay clean by washing my hands when I need to, right? If we really understand that we're cleansed, that should motivate us to walk in that. It's, it shouldn't be, oh, I'm cleansed. Hey, let's go do whatever. No, I want to walk with Christ. I want to walk in the cleanness that He has washed for me. I think we see some clear biblical instruction kind of along these ideas. If we go to First John, go to the end of First John chapter 1. In a very familiar verse, 1 John 1 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So there we see, hey, to get saved, you have to admit you have a problem. You can't act like you're not a sinner. You've got to admit I'm a sinner and come to Christ, confess your sins to him and find forgiveness. Well, now what? Chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The point of being saved is not then to just turn around and and sin because there's forgiveness. No, now turn around and don't be a slave anymore to sin. Walk as a slave to righteousness. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. God has saved you so that you won't sin. But He also knows you, and when you do sin, you have an advocate. You have a place that you can turn to to find that, that continued cleansing that you do need in Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, not, or sorry, he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So There we see, hey, let, let's walk forward with confidence but at the same time with, with confession, when we see sin in our lives, being quick to own it, to confess it, and to find cleansing from God. And this is where I want us to be careful, because I think it's easy for a lot of people to really fall off on one side or the other for this. And I'm concerned that no matter how you get that wrong, if you, if you don't have both of these elements, you're not going to grow like you could and like you should, right? Right? The people that just want to kind of go forward being like, oh man, I'm such a wretch, such a a sinner, so filthy, right? And and that's all you can think about. That's going to stunt your growth. Because just, man, I'm I'm such a sinner, I'm so filthy, and I'm thankful for Jesus. Okay, but what about the ways that Jesus wants you to grow? What, What about the ways that he wants you to walk in the freedom and the cleanness that he has achieved for you? You're going to miss out on that. But then on the other side, if you're just like, I'm clean. Don't need to worry about sin anymore, right? That's never going to be a problem again. And you're just kind of cruising through life like, cool, going to heaven, I'm saved. And you're not paying attention to ways that sin still is in your life and ways that's being exposed in your life. Your growth is going to be stunted too, where God wants us to have confidence and confession saying, hey, God has cleaned me. I'm free from sin. I want to move forward and grow. And then, oh man, this is a problem. God. Help me, clean me, forgive me for this sin. We need both of these things, I think, if we're going to grow like we should. And at the 9 o'clock, I even, hey, I added a whole other scripture I want us to look at at this point. And this is the 11 o'clock. So we got all the time in the world, right? Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. And I just want to give you, I think, a great biblical example of somebody who got this. And it's somebody we've already talked about a lot. The Apostle Paul. Somebody, he knew he was a sinner. He he knew what he had done before was so serious. He even had an ongoing sense of the struggle with sin. But at the same time, he was confident that Christ had cleansed him and instructing other people to live the same way. And look at how he describes his own growth in Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So there, you see, he's not trying to act like, I'm perfect, I've got it all together. But at the same time, he's not just dwelling on his sin or dwelling on the past. Hey, the past is behind and I'm pressing on with confidence, with confession, pursuing Christ. Pursuing that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's a good example for all of us. And I think that's a very valid lesson from what we're seeing there in John 13. And I think this episode between Jesus and Peter really communicates a lot to us about what does it mean to be spiritually clean? How do you get there and how do you stay there? But there's one more lesson we'll just look at real briefly there at the end. When he tells Peter he doesn't need to wash, he says, you're completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And help me out here. Who's he talking about? Judas, right? And we're going to do a deep dive on Judas, on Judas in a couple of weeks as we get to more about him later on in John chapter 13. But what I want you to note for now is Jesus knew Judas was not clean, but it wasn't obvious to everyone else. Jesus went around and he washed all 12 of the disciples' feet. And when he got to Judas, nobody said, you know what? I don't know about that guy. There's something weird going on. There, We're going to see even more of that, how this totally caught the disciples by surprise. But one thing that tells us is Judas was able, was able to blend in. Even though he wasn't clean, he was able to blend in with the people that were. In one way, he was, he was able to fake it, at least for a while. And that's kind of the last warning I want us to get today. Number three, don't settle for a fake washing. Don't settle for a fake washing. Jesus washed Judas's feet. But he wasn't clean. And even what Jesus was doing was a symbol for the real washing that Jesus can provide. Today, we think even about the symbol of baptism, getting dunked in water. And how that symbolizes being washed, being placed into Christ, being buried with him and raised with him. There's a lot of people that have been dunked in water that they're not clean. And they're just going through the motions, right? There's only one way to get truly clean. You have to realize you're a sinner. You have to realize you can't do it. And you need Christ to cleanse you from the inside out. But there are ways to to fake it. We need to be clear. I mean, kind of like Judas here, there is no way to be clean by association, right? Hanging around with clean people can't clean your heart from the inside out. I mean, Judas couldn't have had better company for three years, He was walking around with God in the flesh and then 11 other guys who would go on to be the pillars of the early church. That didn't clean him. There's a lot of people today, hey, I'm going to show up at church. I'm going to show up to a small group, right? I'm going to hang around with people who are making the right decisions. That in and of itself cannot clean you. You can't take someone else, another person's cleanness and put it on yourself. You can only do that with Christ through faith where he gives you his righteousness. And the other thing, maybe maybe for a while, Judas was able to kind of appear clean on the outside. But even then, we've already seen he was faking that. He was stealing money from the money bag. So even he looked good, but there were still secret sins going on in his life that he thought nobody else knew about. And there's a lot of people just trying to, hey, I'm going to get my act together on the outside. When that's not what the Bible's talking about, that's not true repentance and faith from the inside out. And that's another thing I come across all the time as a pastor, where people come to me usually cuz their sin has caused something in their life to blow up and they're like, "Hey, pastor, help me out." And they come in like, "Hey, pastor, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready, pastor. I'm going to I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to turn my life around, right? And they say all those things, and some of those things sound pretty good. I mean, turn, isn't that the idea of repentance? And they're saying a lot of things, but there's one big thing missing, and that's Jesus Christ. Because these people, they come in and they kind of act like, I'm going to get it together. I'm going to clean up my act, right? When it has to start with realizing you can't clean up your act. You're never going to get it together. You need help. You need help a savior. You need Jesus to give you a new heart. We need, you need Jesus to wash you from the inside out. And if you're here today, just thinking, all right, I'm at church because I'm getting my acts together. I hope you realize that's not possible. And there's nothing that the rest of us here can do to get your acts together. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only hope. And that really brings us back to where we started. That brings us back to point one humbly accept Christ's humiliation so I hope this picture of this foot washing today helps all of us know hey this is how you get clean and it's only through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and then we proceed from that with confidence that we have been cleansed but also with confession and being quick to turn from sin when we see it in our lives and I hope we live that out this week let's pray Heavenly Father, even as we look outside this weekend and we see all the snow, God, we're reminded of what we looked at this morning even, that though our sins were like scarlet, they can be washed as white as snow. God, that the perfect righteousness of Christ can cover even the worst of sinners. And so we thank you for the hope that is only found in the gospel. God, and I pray for those here today, Lord, that maybe they're they're searching for answers or maybe some here today, Lord, even as, through talking about this, they realize they're faking it. They're trying to put up appearances. They're trying to clean themselves from the outside in when that's never going to work. And I pray that we'd see people today put their faith in Christ as the only way to be cleansed. And God, I pray that you'd help all of us, Lord, to kind of learn some ongoing lessons from this passage As well, God, that we would live carefully and thoughtfully as Christians with both confidence and confession. Help us not to have a perpetual woe is me attitude and to kind of continue to act like and talk like we don't have Christ. Yes, God, we are nothing without Christ, but if we're saved, we have him. And so I pray that we would rejoice in that, God, without going to another extreme of just ignoring sin in our lives or acting like the battle is over, God, Help us to continue to go on with, with confession, being quick to confess our sin when we see it, God. Being quick to look to you. So God, please build up your church this morning. Help us all to live with a more biblical perspective this week, God. And I pray that you would just work on people's hearts, Lord, any here that have not put their trust in Christ, that today would be the day, that they wouldn't leave here today without grabbing me or Pastor Charlie or somebody else and talking about what it really means to get clean And how Jesus is the only one that can do that. And it's in his name, God, that we pray. Amen.